With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Knocked him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of It's Wednesday, July 12, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you this week by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, I can't tell you how excited I am about tonight's show with two first-time guests that are going to be a blast for Philly sports fans. And what I'm most excited about is we were told when we met one of these gentlemen at the Dick Vermeil Boy Scout golf outing, that there are no subjects off limits. Yeah, anything goes tonight, Bill. So put your seatbelts on. This is going to be fun. Yes, it is. Well, hey, let's get this thing rolling. Let's welcome longtime sports radio host Bill Warndell and the co-author of Bill's book, No Curveballs, My Greatest Sports Stories Never Told, Joe Valley. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on with you guys. Well, we're excited to have you guys on. Let's get rolling. Here we go. Bill, you've got 50 years' worth of stories that we're going to try to cram into a half hour or so, which, of course, is impossible, but let's do our best. Your your very first athlete interview was Wilt Chamberlain in the mid-1960s, a pretty special moment, as you wrote in the book. Yeah, I would say so. Now, I know, Bill, that you have some great memories of Wilt. What do you remember most about him? Well, I remember the night listening to his 100-point performance from Reading, uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. I remember that vividly because I was up in my bedroom and I could not believe Chamberlain was going to score 100 points against the New York Knicks. At the end of that game, jumping Johnny Green, who later played with the 76ers, uh, was the center trying to cover Wilt at 6-4. And Wilt, he just dominated the game. I mean, when they talk about great players, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, there's only one player who's the greatest player of all times. The rules were changed because of Wilt Chamberlain. You couldn't throw the ball off the backboard. They widened the lane. He, you couldn't guide a basketball into the, uh, into the basket. They called that offensive goaltending. So Wilt Chamberlain, in my opinion, was the greatest player ever to play the game. And he could do anything he wanted to do on a basketball court. Well, hey, Bill, you uh, speak, speaking with Philly uh, athletes, you made a comment uh, that I read about one Dick Allen being the greatest Philly offensive player ever, and that included Mike Schmidt. And you, you've been a proponent for, for Allen to be a Hall of Famer. Do you see that happening? Well, I hope it happens. He deserves it. You look at his numbers, they're right up there with the greats of the game. Uh, top two in almost every category across the board. When you talk about home runs, they were wowing about Aaron Judge in the All-Star Home Run Derby. Oh, he hit one 500 feet. You know, Dick Allen did that in a regular season game uh, three or four times in a Phillies uniform, hitting the ball over the roof at Connie Mack Stadium, hitting the ball over the 447 mark in center field at Connie Mack Stadium. This guy was a devastating offensive player, very misunderstood, a great, great person. This guy deserves the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was a difference maker. He made Mike Schmidt a better player. He made Greg Luzinski. You talk to those guys, and they speak volumes. When a guy like Rich Gossage, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, says, Dick Allen deserves to be in there. And there's so many other guys, Don Sutton. They're just flabbergasted that this group in Cooperstown uh, does not 
include Dick Allen in the Baseball Hall of Fame, the best offensive player I ever saw in a Phillies uniform, bar none. Well, hey, Bill, as a quick follow-up to that, what, what do you think the reason is that he has not been able to get in? You know, he got the one vote the last time with this new setup okay, they have, is, but he spent a lot of years that he hasn't been able to get in there. You know what the problem is? Racism. I'm sorry. The Baseball Hall of Fame is a select group of people. Now, when they voted the last time, Bob Watson could not be there, and he was a proponent of Dick Allen. Dave Dombrowski, who worked for Jerry Reinsdorf, took his place on the committee, and he missed out by one vote. And one of, another guy who was on that voting committee was form, or, or present Phillies executive, Pat Gillick. And he tore him up in the minor leagues. And I, I really believe there's a lot of bias towards Dick Allen because he was a controversial figure. He spoke his mind in an era where you had to be a nice young man. You couldn't speak out about the problems in, this, in society and the game of baseball without question. The best player, best human being, one of the best human beings I've ever been around. And as you put it in the book, people can say whatever they want, but in my mind, Dick Allen is and always will be a Hall of Famer. Hey, I want to ask no Joe doubt. Valley a question. Joe, quite obviously, Bill Wernell's got hundreds of stories. Was it tough for you to uh, pick and choose which ones would go into the book? It's really interesting that you say that, Chet, because when I first met Bill, and I've told him this, this isn't a secret, I wasn't aware of him. I wasn't aware of his career. He was one of the panelists on Larry Kane's show on Comcast for my book, A Snowball's Chance, which came out about four years ago. And afterwards, he was talking to me, and he was telling me a little bit about his career and what he'd done, and he asked me eventually if I'd like to help him write his book. And as I do with anybody, I say, okay, well, you know what, let's sit down and let's talk about some things, and let's see if we have enough, enough material. <laughs> well, silly me. <laughs> I sit down with Bill, and within 30 minutes, we probably had about 25 to 30 ideas for different chapters. So I knew that we were on to something. Now, some chapters are longer than others. Some have more information that was better suited in another chapter when he was talking about multiple cities or just a certain moment. But, you know, we squeezed out 29 of them. And the the biggest challenge, because the Bill that we all know and love it can can – chat up with the best of them. And it was really putting all of, all of, of his thoughts and condensing his thoughts into all the chapters the best way that I could. But I think, I think we pulled it off. Yeah, you, sure, you certainly did. I read the book, and it is awesome. Hey, I want to go Thank to uh, Bill again. Bill, uh, you got well, some Chet great Valley stories about Chuck Benarick in there. Uh, okay. Yeah. Chet and uh, Bill, I think Joe Valley, you talk about – an unheralded individual in the Philadelphia community. Joe Valley is one of the best writers I've ever been around, and this man deserves a lot of credit because he endured a lot uh, all the, during this process. I mean, he is a tenacious worker, and he, and, he, and he never stops. He's like the Energizer Bunny, and he deserves <laughs> 95% of the credit for this book. All right? Thank you, wow. Bill. Simple well, as that. But we're going to have Joe on uh, himself one night because I know Joe's got a lot going on with all the different things he's involved uh, with. So, Joe Valley, this is an announcement. You're going to be on with us uh, by yourself one night because we've got plenty to talk to you about too, pal, okay? <laughs> oh, great. Thanks, Chet. I'll come by anytime. You got Anybody it. <laughs> who wants to listen to me talk, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. So much appreciated. All right, I'll look now, forward to that very much. Getting back to Bill Werndell, hey, you got some great stories, as I was saying, about Chuck Bednarik, the greatest eagle of all time, as you put it. You were a witness to a couple of guys not realizing they were talking to Chuck himself, proclaiming that Concrete Charlie's legendary hit on Frank Gifford was a cheap shot, something that would always get Chuck uh, a little bit irritated. But what I want to ask you about is, what the hell were you thinking, Bill, when you asked Bednarik to demonstrate how he nailed Gifford? That, that's a great question. That is a tremendous <laughs> question. Because I wasn't thinking at that moment. And, of course, Chuck <laughs> had to demonstrate how he gave uh, Gifford that shot, you know, knocked him out. Now, the story is, if people realize they can research his story, when the Giants came off the field at the end of the game, 
there was an ambulance outside the Giants' locker room, and they thought Gifford had died. All right, they actually Whoa. thought Gifford had died, but another individual had suffered cardiac arrest during the game. They brought him down to the Giants' locker room, and the man died. Gifford did not. They 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 took him to the hospital and everything for observation, and he missed the following year. But you know, Chuck was just an unbelievable guy. I mean, you talk about a guy that could do it all on the football field. He is the last of the legitimate 60-minute men. He played 58 minutes down the stretch with the Eagles at center and linebacker. And yet Dion played wide receiver and defensive backs. The next defensive tackle or the next tackle Dion Sanders makes will be his first tackle, all right? But Chuck <laughs> was just an awesome, awesome player. I mean, uh, you know, you, you read about stories when he was at Penn, how good he was when he got to the National Football League. He was the consummate pro. He, he never even liked to lose in a pickup basketball game at the Palestra. They used to play that after his career was over, and he would get angry. If somebody fouled him, they would pay a price. <laughs> well, glad you survived the demonstration of that hit, Bill. Well, I, I still have a dent in my chest. <laughs> well, hey, Bill, I know you have a chapter in your book, and uh, and we, you and Chad and I actually got a chance to talk about this some at the golf outing uh, the other week. And tell us about Pete Rose, and uh, I know you have some real strong opinions about that whole situation. Well, Joe knows this. Uh, we had to redo that chapter about 71 times. You know, Pete Rose is probably the most complex individual I've ever met. A great guy, a very accessible guy with the media, tremendous individual. But he has a dark side to him. And Pete gravitates towards people. Uh, you would say, hey, what, do you want, what are you hanging around with those people for? And, and when you look at what Pete had done, and I remember Bill White, who lives up in Bucks County, was a National League president. And before that, he was a Yankee broadcaster. And we went down to Baltimore to see the or He was doing the Yankee game with Phil Rizzuto, as everybody knows. 1987, June of 87. And we talked about a myriad of topics, business, family, the whole deal. We finally got on the subject of baseball. And I turned to Bill White in his car. He was driving down. And I said, Bill, there's a guy in baseball who's going to get in a lot of trouble for gambling. And he said, who's that? I said, Pete Rose, no. Let's fast forward to January 29th of 1989. I called Bill White to congratulate him for being named the National League president. The first words out of his mouth were, how did you know? I said, Bill, it's on ESPN, in the Inquirer, the Daily News. It's all over Sports Talk Radio. I said, no, how did you know about Rose? I said, it wasn't hard to figure out. If you saw the people... He was being associated with. You could you started putting things together, and you know the unfortunate part about the whole Rose situation is John Dowd stopped when Pete was the manager of the Reds. If he had gone back when he played for the Phillies and the Expos and the Reds, I hope this is not true. But Dowd has said this on radio shows when I was after San Diego. He believed Pete was betting as a player as well. Never be able to prove it, but Giamatti called off the investigation after they had enough and said, Pete, we got you dead to rights. Now, the problem with Pete, he could not accept it. Then 15 years later, he admitted he gambled on baseball. And then he tried to get reinstated, and he tells the commissioner, I still bet on baseball, but legally. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you, you, you sit there and say, I mean – uh, look, baseball is watching him like a hawk if he wants to get reinstated. I mean, they're they very, very careful because they don't want to have egg on their face. Do you agree with me, Joe? I do, Bill, but I also think, and this is coming from a guy who, A, grew up idolizing Pete Rose, and then, B, had the misfortune of meeting him three times, mm -hmm. that Major League Baseball is using him when it's convenient for Major League Baseball to use him. 
Yeah. Hey, Pete, want to want to do want to do pre and post game for the playoffs and World Series? Oh, sure, we'll have you on. Hey, want to retire your number for the Reds and get you on the Phillies Wall of Fame? Oh yeah, we'll allow that. What about the Hall of Fame? Mm, nah, sorry. You know, well, now I, I think it should be one way or the other. You know, you, you can't have it both ways. And of course, Pete is going to jump at the chance to do anything with baseball because he generally loves baseball, and you could argue that he wants the attention just as much. But ultimately. And a lot of people disagree with me when it comes to this. And I was one of P. Rose's supporters. I thought, no, he didn't bet on baseball. And then he lied for 15 years about it. And then he made the announcement the day that Eckersley and Mahler got into the Baseball Hall of Fame. It, there's a rule on, on, written on every, in every clubhouse wall. Clubhouse door. Yep. Clubhouse door. Telling everybody, hey, you gamble on baseball, you bet on baseball, here's what happens. And he did that. And whether you're Steve yep. Jeltz or Pete Rose, if you did it, you can't make an exception for the other. Right. And, that, and, that, and that's opinion, on every door all the way down to A-ball, every yeah, locker room and, in, in Major League and, Baseball. And, every locker room in bas- baseball, football, basketball, and hockey, that, that thing is right on the door. That notice and, is right on the door. And it's, and it's interesting, in my opinion, because also in that, in that chapter, guys, as, as Bill knows, we talk about Michael Jordan and the possibility that Jordan – I'm reading a book now on the Dream Team. Michael Jordan incurred some gambling debts. There, there's no secret about that. And yep. there's a lot of questions, and Bill says this in the book, as to why the greatest player on the planet at that time would suddenly walk away from the game. And yep. there is speculation, and, and there's, we talk about it more in the book, that maybe David Stern – and of course this is all conjecture. I don't know any inside sources, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything – Told mm-hmm. Michael, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe you should walk away for a little bit until the smoke clears and the dust settles. And a year and a half later, he came back. Yeah. Now I don't know and if this just, was just to fulfill this tremendous wish to play baseball, or I don't know. But I think the league would have been rocked beyond repair, as Bill says in the book, if there were two major gambling scandals in two of the biggest sports in the world at the time with two Absolutely. of the biggest athletes in the respective sports at the time. Absolutely. Or at least personalities. Rose had retired. Right. Everybody gravitated towards those guys. And, yeah. and people don't want to bring up the gambling issue. They talk about steroids. They talk about alcoholism. You know, gambling is the worst because there's no telltale signs until you hit rock bottom. The guy that I replaced in San Diego was Chet Forty, who was a wonderful human being. And Chet Forty was the number one director at ABC during the glory days of ABC's Wide World Sports, Monday mm-hmm. Night Football, the whole deal. Chet Forty left this planet penniless, had nothing. He gambled it all away. And he said one wow. thing to me about gamblers. He said, we're losers and we're liars. And he's right. And these guys never believe until they hit rock bottom that it could ever end. And when it ends, it comes to a screeching halt. Hey, Bill, you mentioned this guy a few minutes ago. Uh, You wrote that next to your father, the guy who has had the biggest impact on your life is former Philly and Cardinal slugger Bill White. I know he was the best man at your wedding and that you're still very close today, but what's the origin of that relationship with Bill White? We've started back in 1967 at Channel 6 when he was doing weekend sports, later did Penn Football, we did a lot of events together. Uh, we became very close friends. And I remember in uh, 1968 or 69, we were out on a fishing trip. And Bill was on the boat, and I turned to him and I said, Bill, I hated you as a player. I really despised you. He said, why? I said, because you put a dagger in the heart of my 64 Phillies. And you, you or the Cardinals beat the Phillies out by one game for the, the pennant and eventually the World Series. It was a very, very tough pill to swallow. But we became very close friends, and we talked a lot. We talked two, three times a week. I mean, he's a, he, he paid me the ultimate compliment when he said, I talked to three people on a regular basis, Bob, Sandy, and you. I said, who's Bob? Bob Gibson. Who's Sandy? Sandy hmm. Kofan. I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> How do I get in this conversation that we're talking about a hall of, two Hall of Famers and me, uh, a former – producer and radio talk show host. I mean, come on. Let's be realistic. But 
We're very close. He's just a, a great, he's a tremendous gentleman. Nobody can top him. Nobody. And if baseball would have hired him as a commissioner when Bart Giamatti died, baseball would be in a lot better shape today. Yeah, but, Bill, your relationship with uh, Bill White, indirectly or directly, I guess, led you to turn down a job offer to work with Al Michaels on Monday Night Baseball, correct? (laughs) Yes, indeed. I worked the Monday Night Baseball game, the Cincinnati Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals. And there were two rainouts on the East Coast. And Rune Arledge decided, well, we have Bill White and Bob Gibson, two African-Americans. Now, this game was going to be shown only on the West Coast, the Cardinals game. But now it was going to be a national telecast. And they flew Al Michaels out. And I had all my stuff, and I gave him stats during the game. And he, after the game, said, you did a good job. So the next day, I come back home from work at Channel 6. And the phone rings. And my mom said, Mr. Michaels is on the phone. Mr. Michaels. Oh, Al Michaels. So I got on the phone. He says, I want you to be my stat man. And I said, Al, I'm working with Jim Lampley and Bill White. I, I, I'm, I'm going to turn it down. And I called Bill White up the next day, and he just chewed me out. He said, what are you doing? But I had a loyalty towards Bill White that I'll never, never lose because he's a top-notch person. I turned that down because Bill and I were that close. And we're like, he's like my big brother, basically. Very nice. Hey Bill, another another Philadelphia figure that you've had uh, you had a little bit of a, a love hate relationship with maybe or or not not always a grin uh, with, but you certainly have turned it into a love affair. That's that Dick Vermeil. Uh, he's pretty high on your list of good guys. Absolutely, Dick Vermeil deserves the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What he did in Philadelphia with no draft picks, no free agency back then, nineteen free agents off the street taking a team to the Super Bowl, then going to St. Louis and turning the fortunes around of the St. Louis Rams and finishing up his career with a bang in, in Kansas City. Dick Vermeil is probably one of the greatest coaches ever to come down the pike. I don't think he deserves that he gets enough credit for what he accomplished here in Philadelphia. And if you're a writer, if you're voting for the Hall of Fame, you've got to look at the teams he, he, the team he took over. If that team could have got federal funds, they would have got federal funds. That's how bad they were. They were a bad football team. They didn't have a quarterback. They had to trade for Jaworski. They gave up a Pro Bowl and Charlie Young. But he turned the fortunes of Philadelphia Eagles football. That was a downtrodden franchise for many years. After the 60 championship run, uh, the Eagles were were just mediocre at best. And Vermeil came in there with a game plan. I remember he had workouts July 4th at Widener University. And the, the bicentennial was on, and these fireworks went off. He's going crazy. But this is distracting my team. And Jim Murray, the general manager, said, this is the bicentennial. And Dick said, what? The bicentennial of our, <laughs> our country. Dick was just worried about building a football team, and he built it. With, with a lot of guys with high character, and he drafted judiciously in the later rounds a Carl Harrison, a Dennis Harrison, a Reggie Wilkes. He had holdovers like Bunning and Berge and LeMaster, and Sizemore, I mean, Stan Walters. He built a team from the ground up, and that's why I believe Dick Vermeil deserves the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Coach Vermeil, of course, still going strong, a lot of energy at age 80. We know. We just saw him a few weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, still going strong at age 80. I love that guy. I, I want to ask another question of Joe Valley. Joe, uh, Bill mentioned a few moments ago that you, got, you should have 95% of the credit for this book, which is, you know, it sounds pretty generous on his part. Can you tell us more about the writing practice and how you guys coordinated and put this thing to paper and, you know, got it published? Sure. We got together, gee, the whole course of the book took about four years, probably the end of 2013, and we wrapped things up finally at the end of 2016. Had a lot of revisions that we needed to do. When we first started the book, Mike Piazza wasn't in the Hall of Fame. Moses Malone was still with us. Pete Rose uh, wasn't in as much trouble as he'd gotten into before. So we, we had to make several revisions to, to a lot of the chapters, which, which kind of 
held things back a little bit. We had a couple couple offers, one in Colorado, didn't want to publish it until later this year, and then that guy got transferred to another company, and we lost touch with him. Had a deal in Philadelphia, and it just wasn't really beneficial to us, so we ended up self-publishing the book on our own. But as far as, as meeting up, we would meet up. I would press the tape recorder and say, Bill, Will Chamberlain, your first interview, take it away. And being that I'm a sports fan, I would have a lot of questions as well, so it would pique my interest. So those questions kind of came along and, and formulated the rest of the chapters. And all the, like I said, all this was really interesting to me, so I had a ton of questions to go with it. So Bill would take the ball and run with it, and then I would, I would ask him questions, say, right in the middle of something, if he said something that was really shocking or a question that I had or to get his personal opinion, and we just kind of – kind of took it from there. And, you know, one thing that he could say, maybe the third or fourth time that we met, I would write it down, and I think it would be a great part for the end of the book. So I would mark down on my tape recorder when exactly he said that and kind of save that towards the end. And that happened with several things. It was going on, just a natural flow of conversation. You're talking about one athlete, it leads to the story of another, and that's how some sure. of the chapters formed. So it's really one of the one of those things where you, I just kind of condensed it all together and, and shook it all up, threw it in the into the into the laptop, and you, the the ingredients later on turned out to be what they were. And, but it was because he knows so much information. Sometimes I, I had to tell him, I'm like, you know what, all right, Bill, we're gonna we're gonna go to something else because that chapter's for next time we meet, you know, because I had a whole schedule of when we had to do it. But sometimes I'd just be yep. like, ah, to heck with it, and I'd let him run with it. Great. Well, Joe, tireless, tireless worker. Yes, sir. Well, hey, Joe, I had a question for you also. Uh, we had Matt Goldberg on, uh, well, it's probably been a year or so ago, about uh, a snowball's chance Phillies fans fire back against the national media, which you also co-wrote with, uh, with Matt and some other guys. And uh, that's a really cool book, too, where, you, where you've basically taken a bunch of stories that uh, guys had and turned it into a great read. Thank you. Yeah, actually, it, it was one of those things where I guess it had been brewing in my subconsciousness for some time how, hey, look, we're no saints in Philadelphia. I think we can all attest to that. But sometimes the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. And isolated incidents in other cities turn out to be big, life-changing events in Philadelphia for some reason. And we, we just kind of grouped all that together, and we kind of wanted to make the book fun. We wanted to divide it up and get the opinions of of all the teams, broadcasters, and former athletes who lived in the area, combined with our experiences as well and our opinions. And we just really did it in a satirical way, but I think we got our point across. And sometimes people use that as, as a state of reference whenever Philly fans are getting ragged on. So it really was a passion project that it turned into to kind of a, a, a career on the side for me writing other books. And that's how I met Bill. If I didn't think of a snowball's chance and, and get that together, I never would have met him. You know, Joe, you bring up a good point about Philadelphia fans. And, you know, I go back to the days of Dick Allen when it was a very, very tumultuous time as far as race relations were concerned in this town. And I think a lot of people look back to that, the older people, and they, they see the problems that Allen went through in this town. And people say that would never happen in New York or Chicago. Maybe not. But that that's kind of where it really started to to to, to – uh, build is that the late 60s when really Philadelphia was not a very good baseball team, football team, the basketball team was awful, the hockey team was just starting. And I, I think that that was probably the ground level for the fans, you know, the expectations. Look, they built Mike Schmidt. He had to come out with a wig on. I mean, Mike Schmidt, <laughs> arguably the best all-around player in, in, in Philly's history, had to come out because they were on him. And, you know, we talk about that and, in the book, yeah. We interviewed Larry Anderson that, about that. Yeah. That the, the, they gravitate towards guys like Boa and, and Rose and Jaworski. Even Jaworski got booed. But Iverson. guys like the, Iverson, that the, they, they would gravitate towards those guys. And, of, of course, when you look at this, you know, a, a guy who has supreme talent, they expect this guy to be Superman. And there's no Superman in sports. And that's the well, we're the little problem. engine. We're always the little engine that, that tries right. and never does. You know, we're not right. like New York, Boston, and Chicago, and that's why we don't have the panache associated with us as fans. And I write that in the book. The Cubs had the lovable losers. The Red Sox had, had the you know, curse of the Bambino. We just lose. 
You know, we don't win. We rarely win. And that's what it is. If we, if we won all kinds of titles, it would be, oh, those Philly fans are passionate. But it's a loser right. mentality. And that's why it's, oh, those fans are bitter. And, blah. and you know what? To some extent, we are bitter because we have gotten right. screwed a lot. And, it, well, it, it, and it's reflected. Those, it's reflected in 50 years' worth of booze, just like you said, Bill. We're, we're all you know, It's amazing. If it was Boston, look, that was a very tough time for African-American players. Uh, they didn't sell out when the Celtics were winning all those championships because Red Auerbach played a lot of African-American players, started five. I mean, that, that Why do you think Bill problem. Russell doesn't live there? Uh, exactly. I mean, <laughs> and, and, uh, the Red Sox for years were a downtrodden franchise. But they won three world championships. Of course, the Bruins are really beloved up there because they're winning championships. And now the Patriots. So then you go to New York with the Yankees and the Mets. I mean, look, look in Philadelphia. Last world championship was 2008 uh, with, the, with the Phillies. The Sixers in 83. Uh, the Phillies again in 80. The Flyers haven't won in, in since the mid-'70s. So there's a not, and the Eagles have never gone, won a Super Bowl. So there's not very t- many championship banners flying around South Philadelphia. Don't forget no. Chicago either, Bill. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Well, at least they had the Bears, you know, d- during George Bears, Hallis, Bulls, Blackhawks. Exactly. I mean, th- they had some great, great teams back then. I mean, you know, George Hallis, one of the founding fathers of the NFL. I mean, they were great for a long time, and they went through some troubled times. But, uh, again, and the, and the Bulls won six championships. The Blackhawks of, of late have been hot. And you have to go back to the 60s when the Blackhawks were relevant. And you mentioned the Cubs and White Sox. For years, the White Sox hadn't won since the teens, and the Cubs hadn't won since 1908. So, I mean, look. But they have they, titles. They've got more titles they, in, in, you know, the last well, 25 exactly. years than we've had in a long, long time. Absolutely, and we were the last major league baseball team of the 16 original teams to win a World Series in 1980. 1980, and baseball started in 1886. Took the Diamondbacks four years. Exactly. Still need that Super Bowl. Hey, guys, listen, we had you scheduled for a half an hour. We knew that wasn't enough time. You've agreed to stick around for another, you know, five or seven minutes or whatever. So I'm going to ask you one thing, and then Bill's going to ask one thing. And mine is I got to ask you about Howard Cosell. Um, Most people know that Cosell (laughs) during the 19 (laughs) – <laughs> exactly. During that 1970 yeah. Monday night football game between the Giants and Eagles at Franklin Field, Cosell had to leave the broadcast early. We know about that. But you, Bill, know all the gory details. So what exactly happened? Uh, absolutely. Howard Cosell, tell it like it is. Howard was <laughs> up in the booth. And, of course, before the game, Leonard Toast put on a great spread, lobster tail and steak and all that. And booze was flowing uh, like like there was no tomorrow. Of course, Howard was not eating the steak and lobster. He was in, uh, <laughs> taking a few pops, right? By the time the game started, Howard was a little queasy. And as the game proceeded into the uh, second quarter, Howard wasn't feeling too well. So at the end of the first half, Howard asked me, there was an auxiliary box upstairs, bathroom, with just the toilet and sink. Howard missed the toilet he opened the door thinking he was going in there, but he was not, and he urinated on the fans below. Of course, it was so cold, people didn't realize that that happened. You know, people were so bundled up. <laughs> then midway through the third quarter, Don Meredith had these brand-new ostrich skin boots, and Howard decided, I can't hold it in anymore, and he barfed all over that. That's when they called up. They called down to the truck. That's when they had the limo pick him up, and, of course, the ABC's comment was he had the blue flu. No, he was intoxicated <laughs> beyond belief. It's like a Forrest Gump movie if there ever was one, huh? Oh, I love good it. Stuff. Good stuff. Well, hey, Bill, I have one final question for you as well. Somewhere yeah, along, yeah, sure. you know, you've been in Philadelphia and you worked in San Diego for quite a while, but you became friends, uh, good friends, with the greatest hitter of them all, they say. Ted Williams, how did that happen, and uh, what was your friendship with Ted? Well, it was interesting. I did the final telecast at Connie Mack Stadium for Channel 6. We had the rights to the Phillies game, 
and I had to line up people. Remember, Willie Mays broke in there, and Bill White helped me get uh, Willie Mays. And I had the Al Brancato, Tom Ferrick, Eddie Collins Jr., who all played with the A's in that game uh, when Williams hit the 400. And so I, I took a flyer. I said, I'm going to call Ted Williams. He was managing the Washington Senators. And I called down, and the lady answered and said, I'll give Ted the message. So I'm figuring, yeah, he'll, she'll give him the message. It'll be right in the waste can. The next day, I'm getting paged all over the place. There's a Mr. Williams. I run up to the WFIL studios, and I said, Ted, can I have five or ten minutes of your time? Yeah, ten minutes. Forty-five minutes later, he talked about every home run he ever hit. Remember this home run at Shy Parkman, County Mac Stadium. Relived hitting 400. Talked about what the umpire said, what the catcher said, the whole deal. The catcher said to him, Mr. Max said, we're going to pick you that day. Of course, he went out and had an unbelievable day, hit 406, last player to hit 400. Years later, he and Tony Gwynn were very good friends, and Tony and I became friends when I was in San Diego. I saw him at La Peeps in Del Mar, and I went up to him and said, Mr. Williams, you'll never remember me, but I interviewed you at the final telecast at Connie Mac Stadium. Kid, I remember that like it was yesterday. We talked about a lot of things, and he was a very bombastic hmm. person. Greatest hitter of all times, no question about it. If he wouldn't have missed those days in the Army five years, Williams would have hit 800 home runs. No question. Wow. Nobody wow. would have touched him. Wow. Pretty good. Wow. Well, hey, uh, as Chet says, we have used up all you guys' time, and uh, but we want to do this again, hopefully. Yeah, Joe, we're going to get you by yourself, and Bill, we, we need to get you back. But in the meantime, how can our listeners uh, find your book and or both your books, uh, Joe? How can uh, how can they make that happen? So go to Amazon, Amazon.com, No Curveballs. And there's also a website, NoCurveballs.com. You can learn a little bit more about Bill. And my book is Snowball's Chance, Philly Fires against, uh, to Back Against the National Media. I botched my own book title. Uh, <laughs> you can get on Amazon as well. <laughs> And also Snow on the Barbed Wire, the biography of Bill Elwingador Simmons, which has been doing yeah, really well. You can, you can check that out on Elwingador.com, and you can also get that on Amazon.com. That's right. And we All had, right. we had uh, Elwingador on also. So and you, you did. wrote this for that, I think, too, didn't we? Didn't you? Yep. Yep. yep that was a great show. All right. Well, hey, great show. Well, hey, having more you guys. And, uh, and time it. flew by. Let's do it again. Let's do yes, it again, sir. definitely. Thank Thanks, Chet. Thanks, Bill. All right, guys. guys thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye-bye. See you All soon. Right, thank you. We'll talk again. Bye-bye. 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 Bye. All right. That was fantastic. Bill, I got to tell you, July is a busy month at the Irish Rover Station House, an awesome bar and restaurant in Langhorn, Bucks County, one of my favorite places, thanks to its great atmosphere, spacious dining area, including an outdoor patio, and always 24 beers on tap. Tell your wife or your girlfriend, or heck, tell them both, what's happening this coming Tuesday, the 20th. It is a paint party hosted by Penelope Fox Art Studios. The ladies can paint while enjoying some specially priced drinks. On Wednesday, the 26th, it's a Phillies tailgate party with Phil's ticket giveaways and other prizes. Oh, be sure to vote for the Irish Rover in Philly Magazine's Battle of the Burger Contest. I can speak from experience. The Rover makes a great burger, among other things. It's the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hey, Chet, you know it's never a bad time to talk football. And as you know, I posted an article on the website this morning that listed the greatest safeties of all time as determined by former Dallas Cowboys executive Gil Brandt. And he listed Brian Dawkins' number 11 on his list. And I am sure you have an opinion on this, and I'm going to give you a chance to say it. But before we get started, I'm going to tell you Gil's list. All right, for those that have not seen this list, it's pretty interesting. Number one, Emlyn Tunnel. Two, Troy Palomalo. Three, Kenny Houston. Four, Ed Reed. Five, Ronnie Lott. Six, Cliff Harris. Seven, Kenny Easley. Eight, Donnie Schell. Nine, Eric Berry, who's still playing. And ten, Steve Atwater, followed by Dawkins. Time's yours, Mr. Chesko. 
Well, first things first, let's admit we are both a little biased having been diehard Eagles fans our whole lives. But come on, B-Doc was a game changer. I know Emlyn Tunnell, who was a bit before my time, is considered the best or near the best by a lot of experts. So I'm okay with that. I'll even accept the guys second through fifth as being worthy for sure. Paul Amalu, maybe a little higher than I would have put him. But, you know, Kenny Houston, certainly a great one. Ed Reed, terrific. Ronnie Lott, what a legend he was. But I've got to put Dawkins right in that area, fifth or sixth or seventh at worst. Look at his numbers. 16 seasons, 13 years with the Eagles, in which he totaled just under 900 tackles plus 34 interceptions, 32 forced fumbles, and 21 sacks. Then he added to those numbers in his final three seasons playing with the Broncos. And that made him, if I'm not mistaken, the only player with at least 25 picks, 25 forced fumbles, and 25 sacks. So absolutely among the top six or seven safeties all time, if you ask me. And if Dawkins is not in the Hall of Fame in the next couple of years, I'm going to demand an investigation. (laughs) Well, I can't disagree with you. And, uh, you know, Paul Amalo and Ed Reed, I'm not putting up there right yet. Um, Kenny Easley, Donnie Schell, those guys are good. Eric Eric Berry's got got a ways to go. Uh, Cliff Harris. Cliff Harris and Charlie Waters, I probably dislike more of any of the Cowboys ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure not looking at that through a clear uh, clear eyes, but I'm sure neither was Gil Brandt when he put Cliff Harris on that list uh, because yes. he has no business being there. Uh, I mean, of the guys that I can see that I would most match Brian Dawkins to with his style of play was Ronnie Lott, and Ronnie Lott was a heck of a football player. Yeah, Lott was a great one for sure. Kenny Houston, pretty damn good. I, I liked Ed Reed. You, you didn't think Ed Reed was quite up there? I, I was a big fan of Ed Reed. You know, I watched. Oh, a lot I, of I their like games Ed. I like and, Ed. I'm just not sure I'm putting him at number four. Okay, Ed's yeah. a Hall of Famer, no, no doubt. But I'm not sure I'm putting him at four. Yep. Well, you know, Doc well, is a Hall of Famer too. So, who's that? It is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's always tough. Well, to we'll see, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe Gil Brand at age 84, maybe he hit his head along the way when he when he <laughs> stumbled upon Cliff Harris and forgot Brian Dawkins. Well, maybe we have to give him the benefit of the doubt there. And speaking of Eagles football, by the way, two weeks from tonight, Eagles players report for training camp. So uh, it's almost time. You know, I'm kind of excited about seeing how this running back situation plays out, Jet, with these with these couple kids and see uh, see how they're going to make the team or make the, the practice squad. I think they're going to be around. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, I just want to see how all the new guys fit in. Alshon, Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, who I'm not overly excited about. Um, but, yeah, the running back, LeGarrette, that he's that's going to be fun to see what Carson Wentz does with all these new guys. And how about the fact that they're all out in North Dakota at Camp Wentz right now getting to know each other a little bit. I I sure like everything that Carson's got going on. Yeah, love that bonding stuff. Uh, plus, you know, it gets you a, a little familiar with how a guy throws a ball, how the guys like to catch it, even before training camp starts. So it's certainly a good thing. Nothing bad can come out of that. That's right. Well, hey, Chet, uh, I know you were all excited about the Sixer Summer League getting started, and that seems to have lost some of its luster even after just three games. And, and now Markel Fultz goes down for the rest of the summer. Uh, what, did you, what do you make of the whole summer league business and the fact that, uh, you know, the guy, you look at that roster now, you don't know many of them. I have no problem with the summer league itself. I, I think it's a great couple of weeks for first and second year players to get a feel for the pro game. Even though the competition, of course, is nowhere near what it's going to be when the real season begins. Sometimes you find out some things about guys you weren't sure about, like this kid Jonah Bolden that the Sixers took with the 36th overall pick. He's a 6'10 forward. He absolutely looks like he's got some skills, a decent shooter and a good defender who can block shots. He can run the floor. I like him. He even made a few threes. So he's a guy to consider. He's a guy that you were going to stash overseas, but they might want to reconsider that now. Who knows? As for the injuries such as the ankle sprain that Fultz suffered, that can happen in a pickup game or walking off a curb. Remember, Simmons played in the summer league a year ago without a problem. Then he suffered his injury in practice on the very last day of training camp, September 30th, if I remember correctly. Getting back to your question, though, I I have no problem with the summer league. In fact, I wish Simmons were playing in it this year so he could lose some of the rust. Well, 
We will find out because it's not going to be long, and they're going to be cranked up, and there certainly is a buzz about the Sixers, and uh, as there is getting to be a buzz about the the um, Eagles as well. Yep, you got that right. Uh, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, the Eagles are always going to be something that we look forward to, but now the Sixers, more than ever, are getting a lot of attention. So it's going to be a great fall and winter, we hope, in and around Philadelphia. You bet. Hey, Chet, you watched at least the introductions and festivities of the All-Star Game, I know, since you wrote a, an article for the website that you posted last night. Did you watch the game, and did you watch the Home Run Derby on Monday night? I watched most of the Home Run Derby, which was loads of fun. enjoyed watching those 500-foot bombs by Aaron Judge. And then I did watch the majority of the ball game itself as I was doing some other stuff on the computer. As for the piece I wrote on the website, I noted that, yeah, I love the pregame festivities, including what they did this year, introducing some of the greatest Latin-born players of our lifetime, like Rod Carew, Juan Marichal, Orlando Cepeda, Pudge Rodriguez, etc. That was great stuff. And it was nice to see the Clemente family there also, because you know, whether you're a Pirates fan or not, Roberto Clemente was one of the greatest players of our era. And I'm glad that you and I, you know, others like us age-wise, got to see him at least for a few years in the late 60s and very early 70s. You know, as I told you, uh, my buddy is an athletic trainer for the Detroit Tigers, and he was selected as a trainer for the All-Star game and the festivities, and, you know, quite an honor for him, by the way. But uh, since you and I talked earlier today, Chet, I actually had a chance to talk to him. He gave me a call and uh, for a few minutes before the show, and he was telling me it was just a great time. And uh, I texted him Monday night when I saw him on the field on TV and said, you know, how cool is this? And he said it was, it was really kind of special. And uh, he said that Aaron Judge is the biggest human being he's ever seen in a baseball uniform. He said the kid has put on a monster clinic. Yeah, he, he certainly is fun to watch. And yeah, I could imagine that your buddy uh, had a great time. I was only at one All-Star game. That was uh, 96 in Philly, and that was a lot of fun just sitting in the stands. So I could imagine getting you know more access to it like he did, that it would be great. So uh, good for him. Yeah, well, and he said he said it was work. You know, he still had to do what trainers do with yeah. all the players and all that. He said, but uh, the guys were great to deal with. Everybody was good. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it was still work, but uh, – but he said it was a lot of fun. And I will tell you this, Mr. Chesko, the word is right out of the man's mouth that there is an American League All-Star baseball coming my way with 25 or 30 signatures. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Wow, 25 or 30? That is awesome. Wait, on uh, one he ball? Said it's, a full, it's a full ball. Wow. <laughs> they mess right so, small. That's pretty impressive, though. Well, them guys that write on them team baseballs, they know how to do that. You know, I guess so. Hey, uh, speaking of baseball, the Phillies are starting the second half, of course, Friday night after a horrible first half, 29 wins or whatever. What do you expect from this club the rest of the way? What do you hope to see? I hope to see a house cleaning is what I really hope to see. The sooner the better. I think they need to make some moves. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm always one that says be a little patient. Don't bring a guy up too soon so, he, so that he fails. You want him to be successful. But I think they got these guys that maybe are a little bit on the bubble that they they got to give a chance to. Now, whether I'm bringing up J.P. Crawford, who's hitting 210 or whatever he's up to now at AAA, I don't know. I don't think I'm bringing him up and and where he can't hit anything. He's got to prove himself there before he gets a shot to come here. But I think they do have some guys down there on the farm that they've got to get up into big league uniforms and. And, you know, maybe you end up with a, a Jim Tomei, Ryan Howard situation. Obviously, you're not that good, probably, with Joseph and uh, Cousins. But if they can't coexist, get the other one up. Let's find out who can play and who can't. Let's move one of them. Speaking of J.P. Crawford, I don't know if you saw the other day, Baseball America came out with its uh, midseason prospect list. And J.P. Crawford, who was, I think, number 13 last year, is now down to number 92 on the list of major league prospects. So, clearly, when you hit, you know, 210 or whatever, that's going to hurt a little bit, and it certainly has as far as what people think of J.P. Crawford. He has taken a significant drop, and, you know, is he the real deal? Maybe not at this point, but the good news is Baseball America does think that uh, some of these uh, Phillies prospects have a future. They are high on Reese Hoskins, Scott Kingry, and uh, the just-drafted Adam Hazley. So, 
plus uh, Sixto Sanchez. So hopefully, you know, some of those guys will pan out, and we'll see those guys up in the the bigs before too long. Well, did uh, did they not mention uh, Mickey Moniak? Mickey Moniak, you know, he's yeah. last year's first first pick in the draft, and he's playing at Lakewood and doing a nice job. He's still a couple of years away, but uh, he's yep. he's going to be a player. It looks like. Yeah, they did mention him as being uh, okay, and they said, uh, in fact, that he's higher on their list than some other people have him. Uh, however, they're not overly confident right now in Dylan Cousins and Jorge Alfaro or even Nick Williams, who, of course, is with the big club now. Um, you know, we know about Alfaro's troubles. He's still uh, very undisciplined at the plate, and he's not as great defensively as we would like to see handling pitchers and all that. And uh, Williams, we know that uh, he doesn't walk a lot. He's not always selective as far as uh, batting. But he hasn't looked too bad so far with the Phils, so, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, I, too, would like to see some of the house cleaning take part and get some of these guys up there to see what they can do. Yeah, well, and, you know, the other one who is um, falling off the radar is that Roman Quinn. He can't make it through a season without being injured, and he was quite a prospect as well. And, uh he he's falling off the radar. Yeah, and that's the problem. He can't stay healthy. When he's healthy, he seems to do pretty well. He can steal bases, but he's hurt every other week, it seems. Yep. Well, and I, and I will say one thing. I'm, I'm going to go with the silver lining here, um, at least over the last two or three weeks, and I don't have all the numbers and stats together or anything like that, but the starting pitching, these youngsters have done a pretty nice job over the last handful of weeks, and uh put together three or four good starts in a row, of, uh, several of them have, and that's that's certainly a bright spot. You know, the bullpen's still not very good, and, and at nights they don't score runs, but uh, the starting pitching has been much better. Aaron Nola has been terrific the last, I think, four starts, and it was really good to see uh, Jared Eikhoff return on Sunday with a real impressive five-inning, eight-strikeout performance. I know it was only five innings, but he was on the DL, you know, for two weeks, and he looked good. He looked like the Eikhoff that I was hoping to see back in April and May that we didn't when he started off 0-7. So hopefully he's gotten it, gotten it back together and can be the guy that they think he can and the guy that I'm hoping he can. Because, you know, if you have Nola and Eikhoff pitching pretty well, that's a pretty good couple of starters in your rotation. I don't know if either of them ever is ever going to be an ace or a true number one, but they could certainly both be a solid number two or three starter. Yeah, well, and uh, and he could have stayed in longer than five innings the other day. He he had a seven run lead, yeah. and I think they he was just on a pitch count. He got his five innings, they got him out, and uh, he picked up his first win in the season. So it was about time for that to happen as well. Nice to see, yes, indeed. Yes, it is. Well, hopefully, you know, we it's summertime and baseball's on, so we watch it. You know, we watch it, we root for him, and then we want to. We're, we're unhappy when they don't win, but it's not for uh, for not wanting them to win. Yep, yep. All right. Well, hey, Chad, let's again thank each and every one of the, the visitors that come to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. We continue to keep it updated with articles from the local papers and a few that we write. Even, uh, as we said, Mr. Chesco, you had one about the All-Star game last night. You can listen to all of our shows. You can also see the Vimeos from our show's guest and even has a photo section in there. We can also visit our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, LuLaRoe, Taylor & Heather, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com. Just go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on each of their displays to transfer to their websites. Well, Chet, I hate to say it, but I think we're actually going to take a vacation next week. You know, unless I'm mistaken, we have taken off just one Wednesday this year, this calendar year, and I think it's high time we take another one off. It's summertime, it's July, it's going to be really hot next week. So, yeah, we will be on summer vacation next week. I'm not sure what you have planned, but I'm going to be working out all week getting ready for my tryout at Eagles training camp. Uh, Fear not that we will be back on the 26th, which happens to be when Eagles players report for training camp. I think the official report day is the 27th on uh, that Thursday. And if I'm right, the 26th, when we are back, it'll be time for one of our annual traditions here on the show. Is that right? It is. It will be our fourth annual Philly Press Box Radio Hall of Fame show. And now uh, we've got to get our, our things together, Chet. We've, uh, as we've done in the past, we have uh, 
we put it up to five votes for the people get five votes out of about 15 players and um they the top three fan votes go in you pick one and i pick one and we add five players to our hall of fame like we have uh each of the last three years so it's always fun talking about the guys and uh, girls and it's always funny because somebody gets left out and people don't like that yeah and i have no memory of who we put in last year and who we put in before that so we're gonna have to look at all that and figure out you know who new nominees should be this year so I'm putting that on you because this is your baby and you're in charge. Get to no, it. I got it. And I and I don't remember them all either, but I want to say that Pete Rose, Eric Lindros, Alan Iverson, Charles Barkley were four of the five that went in. Uh, and I, maybe it was that Hal Greer might have been the fifth one to go in. And I can remember <laughs> I, that I really Moses Malone did not go in. That I do remember. Really? Wow. Interesting. Well, that'll be fun. So something to look forward to on the 26th. And by the way, also on that show, at the midpoint of the show, I'm going to have a pre-taped interview with an Atlanta sports talk personality by the name of Sandra Golden, who you may recall from me mentioning her this past winter, uh, works side-by-side with former Eagle and Falcons wide receiver Brian Finneran down there on Atlanta Radio. Sandra is awesome, really knows her stuff, and she'll give us her perspective on Philly fans, how the Falcons and their fans are, hope, are coping with that Super Bowl second-half meltdown, and various other topics. So, uh, we're going to do that in the middle of the show on the 26th. Well, it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I might even be able to squeeze in about five minutes of talking about Iron Man Lake Placid, Chad. I'm looking forward to that. As you know, my son Mike is a Iron Man participant, and uh, we're headed up to Lake Placid, New York, for the Iron Man on the 23rd of October, and uh, this will be his fourth one, and it is quite an amazing event. Sounds fantastic. Well, good luck to you guys, and, uh, you know, have fun. All right. We plan it. We're ready for a vacation. Well, hey, uh, maybe we'll even make it a beer vacation, Mr. Myers. I mean, Mr. Tesco. On a beer-cation. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> All right. How about a parting shot for you tonight, sir? I do not have one ready. All right, Bill. One of our favorite guests, a three-time visitor to Philly Press Box Radio, is former Comcast Sportsnet Phillies reporter Leslie Goodell. Well, Leslie has a big event coming up this weekend designed to raise funds and awareness for arteriovenous malformation, or AVM, a defect in the vascular system. That's because her young daughter, Kendall, whom Bill and I had the pleasure of meeting last month, is an AVM victim herself. Now 13, Kendall joined her mom in visiting with Sports Radio WIP's Angelo Catali Wednesday morning and recalled when she first knew that something wasn't quite right. I was 10 years old, so it was three years ago, and the night before I had it, I was over at our neighbor's house, and we were blowing up balloons, and my fingers got tingly because I thought I was tying the balloons too tight, and I went to bed that night with my fingers tingly, and the next morning I tripped over my leg and I fell to the ground. And then I went outside because we were going to a softball game. I was getting my water bottle, and as I was closing the refrigerator, I face-planted into the refrigerator. But she didn't say anything to me until we were in the car. And she said, I don't mean to complain, Mom, but my foot's not working very well. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That audio clip, courtesy WIP. Now, thanks to stereotactic radio surgery, the use of radiation to shrink the AVM, Kendall continues to fight her way back to good health. But her misfortune as a thoughtful preteen led her to wonder how she could help other kids in that situation. And that's why she and her mom, Leslie, started Kendall's Crusade. And this Saturday evening at Valley Forge Casino, it is their second annual Kendall's Crusade comedy classic, benefiting AVM research and patient care. The very funny Craig Shoemaker and Scott Friedman provide the comedy and event tickets range from 65 to $150. You can get all the info at kendallscrusade.org. Have a terrific event, Leslie and Kendall. And by the way, Kendall's motto, which was on her T-shirt the day that we met her, is don't bring down my positive. I love that. Yep. Hey, great cause, and uh, uh, hopefully they uh, sell the place out, pack it up, and have them standing room to raise money. Yeah, that's terrific. Uh, I just I, I love Leslie, and you know, it was great meeting Kendall. So uh, good luck Saturday. Absolutely. Well, hey, Chet, we have reached the top of the hour, so let's thank our special guests, Bill Werndeau and Joe Valley, Irish Rover Station House, LulaRoe Taylor, and Heather and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continuing support of the show. 
For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio in two weeks, Wednesday, July 26 at 7 p.m., when we do our fourth annual Philly Press Box Radio Hall of Fame show. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the Gouverneur Hills. I hope we pass the audition. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.